welcome back to Who Knew We Didn't. My name's Marta. My name is Megan. And I just hit my mic with my hand. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, okay, so today we're covering theories of personality. The first kind of, or the most commonly talked about thing when you talk about psychology is like predicting people's behaviors or like what would somebody do? So Or analyzing what somebody yeah, yeah that what somebody is gonna do but like analyzing people's behaviors for sure yeah or like oh what kind of person are you this all relates to personality um so we figured that the first topic we should cover or the first like meaty topic like real topic as yeah. opposed to a general overview of psychology yeah it's personality so today's format is going to be we have four sections and we're covering the general schools of thought around personality i cover two megan covers the other two hopefully it will be a quick and dirty guide to help you guys understand better <laughs> um and before we jump into that personality is uh I'll give you guys like an official definition. So personality is the dynamic organization within the individual of those psychophysical systems that determine his characteristics and behavior or through her. life. Yeah. Or her. I as I was reading that, I was like, ooh, Al Porch from 1961. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I pulled this uh this definition <laughs> from. Uh one of the problems is that there's no one like Bible definition of personality in the study of psychology, like Oxford Dictionary obviously has their own, whatever, but because there are so many theories, there's no one definition. And we'll go through those theories today. I actually, I'll say I had a bit of trouble when I initially started doing the research for this episode is that I didn't, I couldn't find a clear definition of what personality is or is supposed to be your means. And so as I was analyzing all these different schools of thought, it was sort of like, well, wait a second, is this is this relevant? Is this personality? Is that personality? Yeah. Like, I don't even know. I don't even know in some cases. Yeah, it was tricky. Yeah, it's the whole question of what is considered personality or what's like human nature versus nurture. It's just such a mess. And the whole reason for a lot of psycho psychological research is that are those questions, you know, mm. like what is personality? What's a steady factor in somebody that'll determine who they are? And that sort of thing like what makes you who you are it um, was also sort of i i kept wondering like i kind of thought it was all these things but i was sort of like okay well is this person thinking that personality means how they act does personality mean how they feel does personality like like where are they coming from when they were coming up with all of these theories yeah yeah it's it, well the first person that we're going to be covering or the first style we're going to be covering is kind of a lot of it's like wait, why, why do you think that? Or like, that's too simplistic of an explanation. But before I give away too much, <laughs> uh, Megan's going to be covering the psychoanalytic perspective. So that's right. Yeah. The, the first perspective we're going to get into is, as Marta said, the psychoanalytic perspective. And generally speaking, this perspective looks to uh, make the unconscious mind conscious. And uh, yeah, without giving it away, Marta um, was uh, was talking about Freud. That's that's one of the, the first characters that I'm going to characters as if there is if this is a novel. Honestly, um, of all of them, Freud kind of is just a straight up character. Yeah, a... it's true. It's true. A lot of his like like the rest of the theories that I like looked at for, for different people's theories, I really didn't see 
them so much in it. Whereas when I was looking at Freud's theories, it was like everything, like you just, you can't help but see his face as you're like (laughs) reading all of these things. Oh, Um, and uh, I'm just going to mention, we recorded this episode and our next one already once, but we screwed up the recording. So if at any time- Oh yeah, this is a do-over. Yeah. So if at any time we mention something uh, and it sounds like an inside joke, it is. And you guys are- Probably an inside joke. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's something that we talked about when we had already recorded this. So. We'll, we'll, we'll bring you in on the joke, yeah. though. Yeah, you can we'll do join our the inside joke. It can be for everyone. <laughs> um, so in addition to Freud, I'm also going to be looking at Carl Jung and Karen Horney. Um, there, are, there are certainly other theories uh, involved in this perspective, but those are the three ones, the three main ones that I'm going to be covering today. Is it an interesting that examples. young is like a word, like to be young, and horny is also a word, like to be horny? <laughs> I love And actually, like both that. the word young and horny are very relevant when it comes to Freud. <laughs> <laughs> when you're young, you're horny. Next. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Well, don't, again, don't give, quit giving it all away, Marta. I'm sorry. I'm Jesus, sorry. that's my whole fucking thing. Um, okay. Freud. Um, <laughs> so uh, Freud, Freud really did start the psychoanalytic approach, and he used psychoanalysis uh, to to attempt to release repressed emotions and experiences. So essentially, like uh, curing the conscious mind by uncovering the unconscious unconscious mind. Sorry about that. Um, and explaining someone's behavior, their emotions, their responses, basically their personality. Uh, so. In Freud's theory of personality and how to correct it, uh, there are three uh, main main categories, or, or I guess you could say, um, like, like tenets. Three, yeah, to your to your mind, to your personality, or, or to what comes out as your personality. I guess okay. you could say the id, the ego, and the superego. So the id is your unconscious mind. This is your instinct. And according to Freud, this is the most significant of the three. It's our pleasure principle and it satisfies all our basic instincts. Next, we have the ego, which is the conscious mind and it operates in reality. So it's uh, all of the the thoughts for the ego are are focused on the here and now. Uh, The ego, you can think of it as the ego being the tip of the iceberg of you and your id is everything underneath of the surface. And finally, we have the super ego, which is what Freud called your pre-conscious mind. And that's our sense of morality. It motivates us to behave in a socially responsible way. I don't have that. You don't, you don't have that? You don't have a super ego? <laughs> you for sure do. <laughs> Probably. Probably do. I honestly, in this, in this part of it, I kind of dig it. Like at this level, at this intro to Freud, I, I'm into this. Yeah, I like the I don't hate ego, you. super ego. Um, in our previous recording of this, we were poo-pooing Freud quite oh, a bit. Oh, I'm going to get there. <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm just saying I like the intro to Freud. Gotcha. As soon as you get deeper and deeper, once you get down, down into that. To id, the base of that uh, iceberg. Yeah, yeah. That's that's when I start to be less into it. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, a, a good way of thinking about this, about these three players, uh, I, I think about the angel and devil on your shoulder. So the devil is your id. It's speaking from your pleasure principles and satisfying all of your instinctual needs. The angel is your superego. It's speaking from your morality principle, trying to uphold your sense of right and wrong. And in the middle, 
is your ego and you're speaking from reality at that point and it's balancing the desires of your id in a socially acceptable way using that sense of morality as its guide it still makes a lot of sense totally yeah. totally makes sense absolutely um now freud says that we have an unfortunate dilemma here though because each element to your psyche the the id ego and super ego demands things that are incompatible with the other two so inner conflict for everybody is inevitable freud also says that we have what he called eros and this is your life instinct eat breathe fuck is what i wrote for that shut up <laughs> that's what i wrote. eros i haven't heard eros that. eat breathe fuck um it's it's where one's libido stems from and your libido is your sexual urge and this is when i start getting into the areas of freud that i'm not so crazy about <laughs> um so so freud says that all children are born with libido and at each stage of our childhood we are therefore obsessed with a different sexual object of our selves yeah. um so the first stage uh when you're when you're a baby basically is the oral stage so you're obsessed with your mouth sucking swallowing kind of makes sense i suppose um the next stage uh, as you get a little bit older so like toddler age um around the time of potty training you're you're obsessed with it's called the anal stage you're obsessed with your anus um, withholding and expelling waste and it is in the oral and anal stage that your ego develops Fighting the urge to make a poo joke. <laughs> Keep fighting. <laughs> no poo jokes. Um, and then uh, after that, we have the phallic stage, which uh, for boys is your penis and for girls is your clitoris. It's when you get into like masturbation. So like probably around like just, just past toddlerhood is when boys and girls start to like be into that, start to, to understand that those, those parts of you give you feelings that you like. Um, next we have this the latent where, stage. This what? is where embarrassing childhood stories come it, from. This is certainly where sure. a lot of embarrassing childhood stories come from. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> latent stage is, uh, is the following stage from, from phallic. So in latent stage, basically you have little or no sexual motivation. But then finally, you get to the genital stage, which is uh, penis again for boys. I, I thought that was odd, just penis twice, um, <laughs> and vagina for girls. Freud's uh, like, ask me about my wiener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I might be, by the way, I might be wrong there. If I am wrong, if there's like a different sexual object in the phallic and then the genital stage, but in in all of the articles that I read, penis came up twice, and I like. When Whatever. you think about the Oedipal complex and shit like that, I just, I feel like he was really into penises. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but yeah. That's pride for you. The, uh, the phallic latent and genital stages are where your superego is developed. So Freud determined that mental abnormality, uh, 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 mental <laughs> that's, abnormalities. That's the word now. That's the new word. <laughs> or oddities in our personalities or our behavior are a result of failing to complete any of those stages uh, of obsession with a sexual object of your body. Um, this is a big part of how adult personality results from childhood experiences. So for example, uh, if you as a baby received forceful feedings or food deprivation or early weaning, like in terms of breastfeeding and things like that, um, then that could result in a failure to complete the oral stage successfully, which would mean that as an adult, you have oral activity dependency. So like 
you are a smoker, basically, mm-hmm. says Freud. Um, another example would be being too lax or too harsh with a child during toilet training would result in them failing to complete the anal stage successfully, and that would result in obsessive tidiness or extreme untidiness in an adult. I mean, I don't know if that's directly related. I don't know either. <laughs> I think that that's sort of like, I mean, smoking's like, an addiction. Like, what's... you start smoking and you like it, and th- that doesn't mean that you were weaned too early from yeah. your mom. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And like, it, what's the extreme like messiness look like? If you're stuck in the anal phase, then like, are you just flinging shit everywhere? <laughs> like, I don't understand. I don't know. But like, so I like a tidy home. Like, I'm a very tidy person. I'm a I'm a pretty clean person. Does that mean that I wasn't toilet trained properly? Because as far as I'm concerned, like, I don't have any memories of like shitting myself at school or anything like that that got real for a second but you know what I mean like there are lots of kids that like have accidents at school I never did that I can remember pretty far back and my parents have never told me a story in which like I had an accident at school and I started going to school at like four so like I feel like I got I think I got through that yeah, but I don't, I'm still a clean person. Maybe we shouldn't be taking his theory so literally. Maybe Perhaps. he was just like a hipster being sarcastic all the time. Maybe. I don't know. Um, I did, however, uh, one one other thing I liked about, like, I, I'm just not wild about that. I think that's all <laughs> a little bit this wonky. But one thing that I did find interesting about Freud's theories on adult defense mechanisms, um, I found this very relatable. And I thought this was a cool way of analyzing personalities as well. Uh, in terms of analyzing other people's personalities mm-hmm. and, and mostly um, not necessarily my own. But uh, Freud identified that we have six key defense mechanisms. The first is repression, which is an unconscious tool your ego uses to hide disturbing or threatening thoughts from becoming conscious. Um, the next is denial, which is essentially blocking external events from your awareness. So if it's too much to handle, you just refuse to experience it, um, like refusing that you have an addiction or that your addiction is something that's creating problems in other areas of your life. Yeah. Um, The next defense mechanism is projection, which is attributing one's own unacceptable thoughts, feelings, or motives onto someone else. Like when um, someone cheats on their partner and then accuses their partner of being the one cheating or something like that. Um, That's called being a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's called projection and being a dick. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Uh, Next we have displacement, which is satisfying one impulse with a substitute. So an example of this, and again, I find this very relatable. It's like if you're at work, you have a conflict at work, you're really angry at your boss and something that they did, um, but you can't freak out at your boss. So you go home and pick a fight with your partner or or with your, your mom or something like that. I I think that's very relatable. I just had a thought about the one, like if you cheated, you accuse other people of cheating. It's kind of like whoever smelt it, dealt it. Or like (laughs) whoever starts accusing people of farting is the one who farted. Okay, yeah. So for sure now projection is is called both being a dick and he who smelt it, dealt it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I have a (laughs) child. I'm clearly stuck in one of the phases. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, regression is going back in psychological time when you're faced with a stressful situation. So an example of this would be, um, 
when you get very, very sick and you act like a baby or when an adult throws a temper tantrum because they don't get what they want or something like that. That would be regression. Okay. And then sublimation. This is the the final defense mechanism. Basically satisfying one impulse with another object in another more acceptable way. So my example for this is sports and athletics. And my, my favorite example of this is so literal, is the end of Mean Girls when Regina George <laughs> gets forced to join the field hockey team as a way for her to release her anger and aggression. So she's like put it towards something constructive and it like yeah. ends up working out really well for her and she doesn't get hit by a bus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's Freud. Um, and, and I'm not going to say one more word about him because <laughs> in the do-over that this is the do-over last time I went on way too long about Freud because he's fucked I also interjected a lot so yeah yeah you had a lot we had a lot to say because he's his theories are kind of nuts um he's he's an interesting guy I find a lot of the I'm 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 kind of frustrated by Freud because I find what he thought both really interesting and angering in a lot of ways stupidly simplistic like upsettingly simplistic I think like we're not that simple well and also it's just sort of like like I'm tidy because I like a clean home my parents did a fine job of toilet training I didn't get there was nothing wrong with my toilet training I just like a clean house yeah yeah anyway so I wash my clothes big deal Freud um (laughs) because I shouldn't them Um, I'll talk about Carl Jung for a little bit now. Um, Jung theorized that we have two perceiving functions, sensation and intuition, two judging functions, thinking and feeling, and two attitudes, extroversion and introversion. And these affect uh, the, the extroversion and introversion. They affect both perceiving and judging functions. Uh, and that basically is a summary of Jung's personality types. He thought we had eight personality, or yeah, psychological personality types. Okay. Uh, so like a combination of all of those matched up, um, basically outlines his theory. Um, he was heavenly, Im- heavenly. <laughs> was he influenced. was he heavily? no he was heavily influenced by freud as well as alfred adler he was trying to reconcile freud's theories of ex- that were sort of on the extroverted side with adler's which were more introverted um i think using young's theory is effective for people who are fairly well adjust- adjusted by social standards but would struggle with more existential questions like the meaning of life what does it all mean why are we here if those are the things that a person is struggling mm-hmm. then yeah looking under the guise of carl Jung's theories like individual sense. psychology yeah, yeah yeah but when it would come to like identifying personality disorders or you know something like that i don't really think that Jung's theories are relevant no. um it would help people who like have lost their faith basically um, a, a couple recommended readings here on, on Young that just made me think about it. Uh, one is No Exit. Uh, it's a very cool play by Jean-Paul Sartre. I'm sure a lot of people listening may have already heard it, it read it. It's, it's very famous, but really cool. Gotcha. Um, and then a movie that you should check out, because I know you've never seen a movie before, is I really haven't. She's really not kidding. She's seen like, probably about three or four movies in her whole life. Like maybe more like six single digits though right <laughs> no i've seen you know it's just really hard for me to sit through a movie yeah because I, I am the tasmanian devil if you make me sit in one spot 
I heard Huckabees is kind of long. Okay. But it's good. I'll it's, watch it in it's segments. It's kind of convoluted too. Like it's it's got a lot of layers, but it's very funny. It's got mm. Dustin Hoffman in it, and I'm a big fan. And Lily Tomlinson. I don't know, but I think I think I like her. You do like her. Do you know Grace and Frankie on Netflix? Yes. Yeah. 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 She's Frankie. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. Oh, she's awesome. Yes. Oh, she's I awesome. And I Grace and Frankie. You would really really like it, and okay. she has a very big role, and she has a a really ridiculous role she makes me laugh a lot her and dustin hoffman um are are kind of together and not not together like Mm. as a couple but like they are partners and okay i don't want to give away too much anyway you should you should see it it is really cool i'm adding it to my list yeah it's good it's it's about existentialism which isn't really carl Jung, but it 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 relates (laughs) um anyway uh now i'll talk about karen horny a little bit um, I like to call her the grandmother of the psychoanalytic perspective. Love it. Um, Horney's theory focuses a lot on neurosis. Her contemporaries like Freud thought that neuro- neurosis was due to negative malfunction of the mind to external stimuli. Um, whereas Horney thought that the external stuff was less important with the exception of childhood experiences. Everybody kind of agreed that that was pretty critical. Um, but instead she felt that neurosis was a continuous process that commonly occurs throughout one's life. And uh, she plays significance Is there on- anything calm about neurosis? Say who? You said it calmly con- occurs throughout somebody's oh, life? Oh, my, pardon me. I meant commonly. Did I say oh, calmly? Maybe you said commonly. I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, I'll just, you know what? I'll just say it over again. <laughs> she felt that neurosis was a continuous process that commonly occurs oh, throughout one's life. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> she placed significance on the indifference from uh, parent to child. Uh, Horney theorized that our actions, thoughts, our behaviors, our personality was driven by what she called our 10 neurotic needs. Uh, the first is affection. So we have a, a need for approval. We, we want to please people, but we also want to be pleased as well. Um, the second is a partner. We need love. We want someone who we can solve problems together. Um, these two categories, affection and partner, by the way, they're, they're um, related to compliance, she says. Um, the next one is power then um, the need to exploit. So like the need to manipulate people. We also apparently have a need for social recognition, very obvious, um, like prestige or fame. Um, We have a need for personal admiration. We want to be valued and also a need for personal achievement. Uh, So all of those relate to um, expansion and aggression, I guess, of our personalities. Are all of these like equal? Does everybody have the same amount of each need? You know, I don't know. I, I suppose not. I wouldn't say that they're all equal. I think that uh, what what Horny felt was that we... <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't giggle about her name. <laughs> it's hard not to sometimes. Um, um, I think she felt that we, we have a need for all of these things. Probably some people have a greater need for others, which would account for differences in personality. Mm-hmm. Like some people have a very strong need for acceptance and other people would have a very strong need for social recognition where okay. others might not. But we do all have some level of need for these things. 
Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I agree with that. Um, and, and to cap it off, the, the next need is self-sufficiency. We, we have a need to be independent and autonomous. Uh, we have a need for perfection. And finally, a need to live as inconspicuous a life as possible. And I was really puzzled by that one. I remember when you said this last time too, I was like, do not like 10 yeah, out of 10. I, I mean, I, but I also get it. Like I, mean, I do really get it. Even people like, who are famous have a need to like be inconspicuous when they want to be. I think it's kind of like, because being conspicuous, if you're conspicuous, that's like a negative thing. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're like famous or whatever, but like you're sticking out like a sore thumb or something. Like you're the odd one out. So maybe it's like the need to be oh homogenous God, yeah. like instead of. In yeah. Would relate to that. Like the need to, to conform yeah. to, to fit in with the rest of the herd. Yeah. Maybe we're stretching it, but. Maybe we're stretching it. Maybe we're analyzing it. What? Yeah. Um, uh, to, to wrap up the psychoanalytic uh, theory, I just want to point out some important differences between Freud and Horney. Uh, Horney disagreed with Freud's theory of psychology of men versus women. She felt that our differences or the differences between people were more due to society and culture than gender or biology. You go girl. Mm-hmm. Um, she also saw narcissism as being very different from Freud's uh, analysis of, of narcissism. Uh, Freud thought thinks that narcissism is common to all of us. It's our desire and energy dr- driving us to survive. And we have an inherent, pardon me, inherent belief in the self as powerful and uh, being able to change our external realities. Um, and as we grow older, we gradually withdraw from objects outside of the self. And that produces a relationship to social reality like vanity. Um, now, Horney felt that narcissism was a product of one's early environment acting on a certain temperament. So we're not inherently narcissistic, mm. um, but depending on you know, childhood and, um, and, and who we kind of are naturally, uh, it could breed narcissism. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. My one criticism of horny is like, why you got to name it our neurotic needs? Like you're just perpetuating the stereotype that women are neurotic. (laughs) Well, that all people are neurotic. Yeah. But the fact that it's like the only female in the psychoanalytic group Maybe I'm, uh, we've talked about this before where I'm just like too sensitive of a feminist. It's also like, like an important thing I think to remember is that Freud, Jung and Horney were all a while ago. That's and true. like, I personally think, and I, and I think that we'll probably get to this, um, when we get into your, <laughs> your next category, I'm pretty sure is that like our environment and our culture is a big influence You're on spoiling that. It. And so we probably think about these things differently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And at the time, these things were applicable. But yeah. we're, we're, we've grown since then as humans. So that was actually a perfect segue to get into my topic. And she also kind of gave it away. So maybe I'm just paying the price. We're even now. Because <laughs> yeah, I gave hers away. But uh, my next, I guess, area or theory of personality is the social cognitive perspective, also known as the behavioristic or the behaviorist perspective, um, also known as or closely related to. Uh, it's a fine line to draw, but they both kind of live together uh, if we're clumping them. 
like this. So the the thing that was kind of noticed about the psychoanalytic perspective is that they're all really internally focused. It's all focused mm-hmm. on yeah, yeah, very much. The person and their past experiences is what creates the person. Yeah. Uh and so the theorists in the psych, uh in the social cognitive perspective were like, well, hold on. You don't act in a bubble. You don't act in a vacuum. So we think that you know, your environment plays a role in your personality. Uh, one of the forefathers of this this theory of personality is Albert Bandura. Uh, I feel the need to emphasize him because he's a Canadian. Rah, rah. Woo! <laughs> um, and it, Have we told people we're in Canada? I mean, we did say sorry like three times, one right after the other oh, yeah, earlier in this episode. That's true. People have probably guessed. And I'm sure by our accents, people have guessed that we're from the north. I mean, like, we're not British or South. Definitely not Southern. American. Anyway, yeah. go Canadian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go Canada Canadian. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm pulling a direct quote from, I'm pretty sure this is Wikipedia, uh, and it says that in this perspective, the answer- answers are felt to lie in careful observation of behavior and the environment, or in behavior and the environment and their relations. So behaviorists think that uh, prefer quantitative and experimental methods so you'll put a person into a different situation and see how they act uh, and that's kind of what determines who you are and how you act is yes your own experiences so they're not completely rejecting the psychoanalytic theory but they're building upon it they're mm-hmm. saying that's far too simplistic there's more to this uh, bandura has this really cool experiment where he kind of showed that um your vibra- your environment plays a big role uh where he put children he showed two groups of children two different like situations so one of the groups of children he showed them an adult like being really violent to this blow-up doll this blow-up doll was called bobo Mm -hmm. Uh, so this adult was being really violent to them and so when the kids were let in to play with this doll later on they were also really violent the second group of children saw a adult playing really nicely with this bobo doll Side note, I think an adult playing really nicely with an inflatable doll is like kind of a weird, an adult playing with a Bobo doll in general is just like a weird image. You know what? You got to study something. (laughs) Exactly. I was just like Like imagining like, yeah, like the adult like petting it and like cooing at it or whatever. But that's my own, that's my own problem with it. Holding Uh, hands. (laughs) doll. Oh, Bobo. (laughs) Uh, but the moral of the story is that the kids who saw the adult that was playing nicely with the Bobo doll also in turn played nicer with the Bobo doll. So uh, Bandura built his theory around this and the behavioristic theory is kind of all around this. It's you act differently based on, yes, your own factors, but also many external factors. Mm-hmm. So before you behave, you calculate things almost always. And so the things that come into your mind when you're calculating, you know, how am I going to act and why am I going to act this way are uh, reciprocal determinism. So the interaction of the people around you and how like how that's going to act on you if you behave a certain way. Uh, behavioral capability. So if you see a, a Olympic ski jumper jumping and doing like a flip and you see that they're getting a lot of reward and it's it, it would be really good if you could do that too. Like yes, you'd get an Olympic medal. You also consider whether or not you're actually capable of doing it. Oh. Yeah, so you're not going to do it if you're not capable of doing it. Um, 
observational learning so you know if you witness somebody else doing the behavior you're more likely to do it if somebody's not doing the behavior you're less likely to do it reinforcements so these are internal or external responses so uh if you do a certain thing you'll get a candy as a kid that will make you more likely to do it if you don't do a certain thing you're not going to get punished so that will make you more likely to avoid that behavior Hmm. that sort of thing um expectations so this comes from society and social norms so like girls are more likely to be or girls are supposed to be nice and quiet and they're expected to be nice and quiet and polite and so they're more likely to be that way versus boys it's accepted for them to be rowdy and rambunctious and so they're more likely to be that way because of expectations uh and finally it's self-efficacy so they're the person's confidence that they'll be able to execute this behavior. Mm. Um, Kind of related to behavioral capability uh, is just whether or not they're confident in being able to perform that behavior. So yes, you can perform it, but also do you feel good about performing it? That sort of thing. Uh, One of the limitations to this theory is that there's a suggestion that the environment always determines your behavior or the environment is always considered in your behavior which of course as we continue to move through we'll realize that it's not always a determinant like sometimes you'll be in a public situation and you'll go ham on your boyfriend like you'll start yelling at them even though like as a woman you're not supposed to uh there's really high consequences to that whatever else or just in general the expectation is that we don't behave that way like yeah. men and women like it's, yeah it's also true an awkward thing yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so your environment doesn't always uh tell you what's how to be yeah to be. yeah yeah um and there's also it's there's just a really heavy focus on the processes of learning and some people don't like for example how to how would you talk about autistic people who don't really interact with their environments Oh, yeah. What determines their behavior? What determines who they are? Because they have a personality. They're not just like, like random neurons yeah, firing. Yeah, just because they don't. Um, yeah, it, it, it doesn't mean that they lack personality at all. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this theory also disregards biological and hormonal predispositions. Like mm. it's the nature versus nurture conversation. And it seems that in the earlier stages of defining personality everybody's just ignoring the fact that like some people's brains are just actually different like psychopaths brains are actually physically different yeah right and it's not it doesn't matter how aggressive their mom was when they were potty training them and it doesn't matter how strict the social norms are they're still a psychopath yeah because they're just not capable so it disregards like any biological influences as well Mm. So yeah, that's the social cognitive slash behavioristic. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. It just builds on top of psychoanalytic. doesn't completely reject it, but like tries to distance itself from it. Yeah. So I'm going to take a really different direction. Um, It's it's interesting you say that, that the behavioral theory builds on the uh, psychoanalytic approach, because what I am about to talk about is something that basically bunks every other theory and decides to be by itself i guess yeah sorry i just wanted to clarify by builds on i don't mean like that the psychoanalytic theory still plays a big part they're basically just like oh psychoanalytic theory ignored this so let's talk about oh okay okay. i i said it wrong but yeah it like kind of has to do with who you are but more so your environment Um, anyway no no it still relates and and i feel that the I'm, I'm going to speak about the humanistic perspective and I feel like 
the humanistic perspective, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, uh, for me, it really rejects everything else and it doesn't fit well with anything else either. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting because the other theories that we've discussed, yes, they are their own, but they do it's kind of like a call and response yeah 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 um whereas humanistic i i don't think it fits that way um in the humanistic perspective it emphasizes the study of the whole person it's really popular in the 70s and 80s humanistic psychologists look at human behavior not just through the eyes of the observer but through the eyes of the person doing the behaving um so personality is studied from the point of view of the individual's subjective experience. Um, For example, Carl Rogers, a a big thinker in the humanistic perspective, uh, the focus of psychology isn't on behavior or the unconscious mind. Um, Instead, it's on how individuals perceive and interpret their events, um, really, really focusing on the self. Um, The humanistic approach is like a direct reaction to the limitations of behaviorist and psychoanalytic approaches. And for that reason, I think it kind of distances just, yeah, well, like goes against their grain kind of like just kind of opposes it in a lot of ways. Um, According to the humanistic perspective, behaviorist or psychoanalytic approaches are dehumanizing. So, Uh, They, yeah, anyway, so some basic assumptions in the humanistic perspective are that we all have free will, not all behavior is determined. All humans are unique and have an innate drive to achieve their potential. And proper understanding of human behavior can only come from the study of humans and not animals. Uh, Psychology should focus, or pardon me. Psychology should study individual cases rather than the average performance of a group. And it satisfies most people's idea of what being a human means because it values personal ideals and self-fulfillment. Now, Rogers theorized that, and this is so funny, Rogers theorized that the organism Meaning the human, human. like that's not dehumanizing, Come on, (laughs) (laughs) has one basic goal, which is self-actualization. So we all basically grow until we reach actualization. We exist because we need to satisfy this need. And a fully functional person is someone who is working towards this goal. So in terms of personality, this fully functioning person is someone who is open-minded, trusting, and, and trusting in their own feelings in their environment. Um, to Rogers, a chief indicator that one would reach actualization is experiences in childhood. So every child needs to obtain unconditional love and acceptance from their significant others. But in today's society, he says, a child will only get unconditional love if they suit um, the expectations of their significant others. So Mm. behaving like how your parents want you to behave. And because of this, Rogers theorized that these external conditions give a great deal of influence over a person behavior and personality so if a person's behavior or actions are continuously reinforced by these conditions the individual develops a personality type that corresponds to the majority of of that behavior that that reinforced behavior okay um now 
The humanistic perspective is also where we get the hierarchy of needs. Uh, Abraham Maslow developed this hierarchy of needs to outline the basic motivations of animals and humans. And again, I'm like, there's just a lot of contradicting things that I found when I was researching the humanistic perspective that really annoyed me. I was just sort of like, why did you, why did you say this? But then say all of this. Like it, it seems, seems to support the idea that you said was wrong. I don't know. It also seems kind of like pie in the sky, utopian. Like I agree. Everyone wants to be self-actualized, so they'll keep trying to improve. But like the people who are the most who are the most confident are the ones who are the most closed-minded. Yeah. And who are not or open. narrow-minded. Yeah, yeah, narrow-minded, not open emotionally or whatever. Those are the people who are like who think they've reached self-actualization. Yeah, and again, it doesn't really... In my experience. It doesn't take into consideration, I think, um, like, chemical imbalances. Like, you were saying that, like, some people's brains just work differently. You refer to us as an organism, and then you're like, oh, but also, we're not scientific at all. Yeah. There's no biological differences. Yeah, exactly. Or, like, the... Like, you don't like the humanistic... Or, pardon me, you don't like the behaviorist theory yet a great deal of the humanistic approach relies on reinforcing behavior like i anyway (laughs) hierarchy of needs (laughs) i feel like we're just poo-pooing all of them yeah we are we are well i mean like that's kind of the point right is to say like we like this we don't these are the shortcomings yeah 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 um So like Rogers, Maslow agreed that self-actualization is the goal. And the characteristics of this are autonomy, um, an accurate perception of reality, accepting yourself, others, and society, feeling at one with nature, and being democratic and appreciative. So yes, very pie in the sky. Very pie in the sky. Feeling at one with nature. How do people like in downtown Toronto... You go to Tommy Thompson Park. (laughs) Self-actualize. You should go to Tommy Thompson Park. If if you guys are ever in the Toronto area. It's also really fun to say. Yeah. Tommy Thompson Park. (laughs) Tommy Thompson Park. Um, It's beautiful, beautiful, uh, like seven kilometer reserve. It's, it's, It's something. Go there if you can. Anyway, humanistic. So, uh, or sorry, no hierarchy of needs yes (laughs) um so the hierarchy of needs is a triangle basically Mm -hmm. at the bottom of the triangle is like the the foundation of our needs air food water so all of our physiological needs breathe eat fuck breathe eat fuck (laughs) yeah uh well not fuck fuck. is higher up fuck is actually higher up but yeah (laughs) and as it should be as it yeah um the the second level of the of the hierarchy is shelter and security and safety. The next level up is love, belonging, and acceptance. That's where the fucking comes in, I think. Um, the next level is power and appreciation, so like self-esteem. And then the top level of the hierarchy of needs is self-actualization, like reaching that top, being that, at your finest. That pie in the sky. Yeah, yeah. I'm it's always way at my finest. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there, there are a lot of limitations that I found with this approach. Uh, it's, it's person-centered therapy, and they use very qualitative methods of research, like case studies and open-ended questionnaires, which is difficult for me to get on board with because you're talking about the behaviorist theory or like, I mean, you're like, hey, we're I can super discount science. Freud all I want, but like he did conduct 
studies, yeah. like like studies that at least had more than open ended questionnaires. Didn't Freud conduct studies on, on his, his own daughter? Kids? I know, yeah. like I, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not like really defending Freud, but like at least but, yeah. it was something like totally quantifiable. No, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it also uh, another limitation is uh, like like holism, free will, hierarchy of needs. Like this approach, it just. I don't know. It, it doesn't get applied to many other areas of psychology, especially when compared to the other approaches that we've discussed today. Mm-hmm. So the contribution that the humanistic approach makes to psychology is fairly limited uh, to therapy uh, and personality and mm-hmm. like uh, motivation and things like that. So it's not really like you can't explain for, I think, personality disorders yeah. or um, anything like that. I just don't think it works yeah like and again like the other topics that we talked about or the other theories that we talked about some of them can like all of them can kind of be fit into many situations but no one thing solves them all yes agreed except what i think is the most commonly accepted theory now is the trait perspective so the trait perspective what it does is it takes together all the good and bad parts of the other theories right so it takes you know your parents do have an effect on who you become so it takes Mm -hmm. Freud's it takes some of Freud's tenets and your social interactions do have some effect on who you are and how you act so your it takes the behaviorist and you do have a hierarchy of needs like if you're starving I don't disagree with the hierarchy of needs yeah so it takes the good things from everybody or from from those other theories and it's like hey there's actually more to this so this is in my eyes like the better balance of the nature versus nurture debate so instead of it's just nature or it's just nurture the trait perspective is like well actually it's both and Mm. it's an interaction of both so yeah, as I say, it's the most widely accepted and the mo- it's the most modern theory. Uh, the main trait theorists here are Hans Eysenck, I don't know how to say his name, Raymond Cattell, Robert McRae, and Paul Costa. Uh, and they, they're they kind of like the, the parents of this theory, of this way of thinking. Um, and the the main basis of this this theory is that you have traits so you have ways that you're more likely to act um you have traits that are stable with you throughout like your life life. yeah Yeah. so they are predictive of how you act but they're not the be-all end-all like they're not the thing they're not the only thing so it's your trait sure but it's also your interaction with the environment around you and it's also like how you've been raised that changes your traits and no one person has the same traits displaying throughout their entire lives like Mm. you do change like people do change a bit we grow yeah 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 like somebody could be like really open and outgoing and easygoing and whatever and then something traumatic happens to them they're not going to be the same person so the trait theory accepts that and works with it which is really cool uh the most popular there are many different uh theories of or there are many different like structures of the trait theory so what i mean is different theorists think that there are different traits like baseline traits but there's yeah there's one theory that i think is the most widely accepted or at least i saw 
the most in school, and it's uh, the five-factor theory. So um, this is that the, I like it also because it was really easy to memorize. <laughs> the five factors, if you use the first letter of all the words, it spells out ocean. So there's openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. And so the idea is that each of these traits is completely discrete from the other. So they're not really related. They don't like, uh, they don't vary together. So if you're more open, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're more or less neurotic because you can be like super neurotic and super I open. See. You can rank them uniquely. Yeah. 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 And so like when you are studying somebody, if you ask them like a thousand questions and all of them are supposed to measure one or the other trait, you won't notice that your variables are all moving or all skewing together. Like, mm. yeah, if you if you study like a million people on these five traits, then all of them will be completely separate. Like none of the two are related in how their numbers skew. Cool. Yeah. So that's that's the idea. Um, and that goes into like statistical analysis and like the validity, validity of the questions and the study and whatever. It gets kind of nitpicky, which is why there's no like hard and fast answer, because as with everything in psychology, this is also kind of subjective, even mm -hmm. though we try to measure it in a qualitative way whatever you can't get away from that so yeah openness conscientiousness extroversion agreeableness and neuroticism and then these can be brought together depending on how you rate on each of these the idea is that they're kind of like a sliding scale um and so you can be like really high in openness really low in neuroticism but really high in conscientiousness yeah whatever and this is like your personality type so you're more likely to act a certain way in certain situations but again there's always that availability that your environment might like take control and you might act a certain a different way in a different yeah, situation like act, act out of your personality yeah. yeah yeah so again the the nice thing about this is that it gives like a general rule because people do tend to be the same across situations mm -hmm. but it's no hard and fast rules so like if, for example freud is really rigid like if your parents screwed up during your phallic phase you're always going to be stuck on one. in this yeah. yeah and you're going to be this way all the time but it's different and we've we've learned that now with psychology for example group think like even somebody who's really conscientious uh and really like cares about other people and that sort of thing if they're in a group situation where like a bad thing is happening and nobody is acting on it they also won't act hmm. right so yeah. like that it, it allows for the other things that we've actually observed in people it allows for that in the theory and it doesn't say like oh this is a direct contradiction or whatever hmm. uh, and what's really interesting is that this trait theory is also used in like stupid little tests like the buzzfeed tests like which uh which school of hogwarts are you in or like whatever which dorm what are they yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. which hogwarts house are you house going to be? house is the word yes. yeah so like Gryffindor Harry Potter blanket <laughs> staring at her yeah, from we, across the room <laughs> our yeah. soundproofing is done with Harry Potter blanket which I mean is working great yeah uh so yeah so it would be like uh typical Gryffindor is higher in openness and higher in extroversion versus like a Hufflepuff will be lower in extroversion but higher in conscientiousness yeah um or uh, a Slytherin will be higher in neuroticism or yeah. something like that. And so, probably extroversion as well. Yeah, and low in conscientiousness. Yeah. Because they don't give a shit about no one. <laughs> uh, 
my my opinion <laughs> no no it's it's written that way that's everyone's opinion yeah uh one of they the themselves one of the main pitfalls of this theory is that because it's so open-ended it kind of like we like theories that give us hard and fast rules like the theory of gravity is like if you if something weighs more than air it will fall like that's the uh, well super basic in Not my really. layman explanation yeah, 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 yeah. of gravity but there's it's like really open and floaty and there's no way to like 100 percent measure these things because they're all like question response questions like it could be multiple choice or whatever but it's still variable and that's where that's actually the main pitfall of most personality theories in my opinion is that they're like it's impossible to get an accurate reading of somebody's personality because they're always they're answering the question right so they could be like yeah yeah it's it's not like it's something scientific that you can look like oh there are 20 agreeable neurons here and like 40 extroversion neurons here it's always like okay well how should i answer this question or whatever well there's also the um this is where the humanistic approach probably does come into play which is like how am i feeling today yeah. like if i'm just not in a good mood maybe i'm, I'm gonna give less conscientious answers. i'm gonna score more on neuroticism or whatever yeah yeah for sure I'll get sorted into Slytherin and be like, every other time, <laughs> I have not ended up here. Yeah. yeah. So they try to control for it in studies. Like, they'll, at the beginning, they'll say, like, what is your disposition today or whatever. And then, oh, yeah. Ever. Yeah. Psychologists, we try to get really, I just grouped myself as a psychologist. I said we, but I totally am not <laughs> one. They try to get really. I make no such claims, by the way. <laughs> I am not a psychologist. I have no, nothing. I have no credentials. Yeah. They try to get really, like. <laughs> specific or they try to at least exclude all extraneous variables but then you introduce other variables and whatever uh and another pitfall that i just wanted to point out is the trait theory is kind of like as i said it's a sliding scale so you are either like you are either more open or less open like so you're either completely open or not open or like somewhere in between but you can't be both or like you can't be like a an extra and you can't be extroverted and introverted, introverted. at the same time. Exactly, even people kind of are. Exactly, like you could be like slightly so out of like if you think of it as a scale of like negative five to positive five, like you can be a one extroverted, like a one on the scale of extroversion. So like you're kind of like okay in the middle or whatever. You could just be like a zero, like neither or okay. or whatever, but you can never be both. Like you can never be extroverted and introverted. Like mm -hmm. you're kind of always one or the other. Or like you lean yeah, one way. Yeah, so you can't be like both a five extroverted and a two introverted in certain situations. Like it doesn't yeah. account for that really. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have a suggestion as to how to fix it. So yeah, mm. so that's, that's the trait theory and I like that we spent more time at the psychoanalytic theory because it's like the forefathers, like this is. I do think, yeah, yeah. pretty much. I, I did not find this in my research. Like I did not find a source that said this exactly, but I do get the impression that like the early sort of like real study of personality kind of began with the psychoanalytic perspective, at least in terms of like putting it on paper, beginning to measure it. Like I'm sure we all, yeah. I'm sure humans have analyzed themselves and each other since the dawn of humanity. But I think in terms of like really classifying it. And I think it was called like just, I think they referred to it as the study of human nature versus the study of personality. Yeah. Which is interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Um, well, I'm wondering then, some of the things I was wondering if we would find out mm-hmm. in this study is like, like, are there internal truths to personality? No. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. Well, Sorry. there there may be some. Well, like, I, guess I would so. say where where these theories overlap is where we can start looking for. Yeah. Truths. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I also wondered, and I think the answer here is yes. Do you think that we can identify and anticipate how a type of person is going to act? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah. do this to me a lot. You do I? Well, no, no, no. You don't do it to me, but you've said it to me. That oh yeah you know how you're glad I reacted or I you're I reacted the way you thought I would yeah I yeah. think because you you said once you're like oh Marta you analyze people first or like you sit quietly and like learn about the room yeah you're an observer and then that's you, what I called you yeah yeah and then you act afterwards and it's kind of like from what I've observed of you the the situation for anyone who's listening is I was talking about something that was bothering me um I was going through like a tough time and I was like oh uh what was it um sometimes it feels like people don't people think that I don't work hard enough and then Megan's like I hate it when someone says that somebody else isn't working hard enough and it's just like such a consistent Megan thing yeah and that's maybe not even a personality trait but it's like a consistent Megan belief so it's yeah I like yeah. it yeah well, it's steady I try and I try like something that could be relied on about me is that I'm always unsteady and that's not that you're unsteady. I would say of your personality, the thing I find most reliable is your observance of things yeah. around you. Yeah. Like you, you, you remind me a lot of my one brother and my sister in this way is that they observe. They observe. Yeah. They, they try and take in, especially my one brother, like really tries to take in absolutely everything. And is has, this the like, dog whisperer? Yes, this is a dog yes. whisperer. Um, yeah, <laughs> my, he's not an actual dog whisperer, but he is like a whisperer of animals. Yeah. Um, because he's honestly, because he's observant, he really does take a lot of care in listening to what everyone is saying and how they're saying it and, and what's happening and everything. And he says very, very little. Um, but what he says is usually very on point because he's listened. I mean, not always everybody says things that... I was going to say, and that's where we're different because I am a chatterbox once I, <laughs> once I, well, he's a bit of a chatterbox too when you get a couple of drinks in him, but yeah. otherwise he's usually a pretty quiet guy. <laughs> he's a cool guy though. In terms of a conclusion to this, I think the best conclusion or best sorts of like predictions that we can make on our own or other people's personalities would likely be coming from looking at personality from all of these perspectives totally yeah like when it works use it when it doesn't don't yeah yeah i'm nodding like emphatically but i realize that it doesn't translate into mics so i'm just just keep on this is nodding keep on (laughs) nodding on yeah that's all that's all i got that's all i have for theories of personality um please please tell us what you think um if we've miss something glaringly important uh in one of these theories or if you have opinions on on this that you want to share or uh, corrections you know anything anything like that uh let us know because this was cool it was a it was a neat way to start like assessing 
people I've been looking at people and like <laughs> thinking people I've been doing personality tests for other people in my head for like <laughs> a few weeks now as a result of this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Uh, we're going to have an email soon. Hopefully by our next episode, we'll, we'll make that email. email. We'll put it in some sort of a about section. section. Yes. Yeah. 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 So write into us. If you are listening to this on your favorite podcast listening app, make sure to, uh, what is it? Subscribe, 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 rate us, uh, rate, rate away. Call. Let's, let's just consider this a call to action. Let's. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. <laughs>